morning, Grace Life. I am not used to seeing this many people in here at 10.04, so uh, welcome to Grace Life. As Pastor Tommy related to me this week, uh, we were sad that we couldn't meet here last week and uh, because the school was preparing for the hurricane that wasn't. Uh, but then didn't we pray for protection from the hurricane? And we are thankful that the hurricane headed off in a different direction, was non-event for us. And we're thankful that you're here with us together and to worship uh, with us, to sing praises and to worship our great God. And so to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome to you. Let's pray. Father God, as we gather together as a, as a family today, we pray for this service. We pray that we will not be distracted by the, by the heat and humidity, Lord, but that you would calm our hearts and prepare our hearts to to praise and worship the one great and true God. We pray for our, our praise team as they, um, as they present the music for us and lead us in that, that, that we will enjoy and, and sing along with them and just sing praises to you. We pray for Tommy. We pray that you would um, guide his words. Bless every one of them, Lord. Guard him as he is a man. And we just pray that his um, word would be true this morning in all respects. Lord, we pray for protection upon this group. We pray for your love and mercy. And Lord, we just pray that you would accept our praises and open our hearts to hear your word. We pray all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Jay? Amen. Ooh, that's loud. You guys want to stand and worship with us? Tommy kind of said uh, when we got here this morning, we ain't got AC, but we got JC. Amen. All right.
say as I feel for our brothers and sisters in third world countries, man. But God is still good, amen?
Father God, we just praise you through this heat, Father God. We just love you this morning. And nothing Satan throws at us is going to get in our way of just proclaiming your name and proclaiming your goodness this morning, Father God. We just pray for any hurt that is burdened and sorrowful this morning, Father God, that they would just be able to turn their eyes towards you, Father. And if we have a reason this morning to be glad in you, Father God, we just proclaim the name of you, Father. And we just rejoice in your presence, Father, and we just rejoice in your goodness, Father. We just love you and we praise you.
going to cut worship a little bit short this morning, kind of trying to carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters um, because of how hot it is. So if you want to come up and uh, read a scripture, if you guys want to stay standing, read, us, uh, read it with us on the screen. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all again. No matter what the temperature is, you still look good. If you have your Bible, uh, feel free to open it to Galatians chapter 2, your phone, whatever. Galatians chapter 2. We'll read God's word for us this morning, then we'll pray as Tommy walks up here and shares with us. What a big day today. What a big day. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, we'll be reading through verse 15. This is Paul speaking, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for this day no matter what the temperature is in this building because we have God's word. We have your word today, Lord, to guide us and steer us, to protect us from that which so easily ensnares us and entraps us and captures us. Lord, preserve your gospel not only in your church, Lord, but in our own lives day in and day out, Lord. Bless the hearing of this message today, the deliverance of this message today. Glory and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brent. Well, good morning, Grace Life. It's good to be here. Uh, even in the sweat and the stickiness and the humidity, it's still good to be here. We're in the middle of a series on culture, and one of the things we used to say is that I never want to be a part of a culture that says never let them see a sweat. <laughs> so... Hey, a few things before I pray. Um, number one, obviously we're fully aware of the AC problem, and the school is too. It's been an ongoing issue. I think it just worsened. Uh, and then with all the storms and the humidity and it being summer. So pr please pray. You know, obviously we're doing all we can. It's out of our control and in some ways out of the school's control. But school is starting very soon, and I know it's going to be, it already has been prioritized by them. But just pray they can get this fixed. Um, we had a few... A few people that came and wanted to go home and watch online, which I totally understand and support. And if that's the case with you, I totally understand that and support that too. Um, and the other thing is, last week was kind of out of our control too. Whenever there's a, an impending, impending inclement weather that could turn hurricane, that could turn emergency, this school has to, it's a county uh, principal, they have to shut down, nobody can rent them, and so... 
It was a last-minute thing we found out Saturday night that we couldn't meet here. So we still did an online service, and that's recorded. You can go and, and view that, but I didn't want you to think we were just namby-pamby. Yeah, we're not going to have church. It was out of our control. But uh, I'm thankful that we're here today and that God answered our prayers. The storm didn't do much damage, if any, around here. So that God protected us. Well, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into this passage. I don't want to waste any time today. So let's do that now. Lord Jesus, this is your church. We are your people, and we ask for your help today. Lord, it's been a, a strange week, a strange weekend, and now getting here with the air the way it is, and this seems like there's a lot of, of issues, uh, building and site-related and temperature-related, and I pray, Lord, that you, you would help rectify, you would cause those things to be fixed and, and repaired and corrected and, and made right. Uh, but even more than that, I ask that those things wouldn't be distractions this morning, Lord. I know this is a message that Satan hates, Lord. I have felt attacked this week and this weekend. I know anytime we talk about justification by faith alone and culture, Satan hates those things, and he will vehemently oppose them, Lord. And we want to resist him, steadfast in the faith, and uh, knowing that we submit ourselves to God, and, and Satan hates that, he'll flee. So we do that this morning, Lord. We ask that you would... Oppose any supernatural, evil, unclean presence from here, Lord, that because of the love of Christ, the, the demons of hell would flee this place, and you would put your divine protection over us so that we can hear, understand, and act upon this message, Lord. Open our minds, our hearts, our eyes, so that we could clearly see and hear and understand, Lord, and believe, and be free, be liberated from any bondage that we remain under, Lord, from misunderstanding the gospel and how it impacts the culture. And I ask and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, about 15 years ago, Sarah and I had an opportunity of a lifetime, really, uh, through the kindness and generosity of some close friends of ours. We were able to go to Hawaii for a delayed one-year honeymoon slash anniversary. And I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii or seen pictures of it on the interweb. <laughs> it's breathtaking, especially for somebody like me who grew up most of my life in a little corner uh, in the Midwest, or not the Midwest, but you know, the South in Arkansas, and I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never even seen the ocean until I moved here when I was 22, and then going to Hawaii was like from color to black and white. It was just gorgeous. But something happened when we got there at the airport that was just really interesting to me. We got there, and you know, it's uh, Hawaii is one of the, it is, some people argue, the most remote place on planet Earth, arguably, give or take. 2,000 miles, you know, the eight little chain islands there, 2,000 miles from any other landmass on the face of the planet. Very remote, very tiny in comparison. It's eight times, the chain islands in Hawaii are eight times smaller than Florida, if that puts it in perspective for you. So very remote, very small, and an island. So whatever you bring to Hawaii stays in Hawaii, for better or for worse. So when we got there, we were accosted by the authorities. I guess because we were from Florida. And they said, are you bringing any food, any plants, any mammals, any reptiles? And I was like, hey, welcome to Hawaii, right? No, no, none of that stuff. And they said, well, we don't believe you. Luggage, please. Get it out. So they got it out. They put gloves on. And they rummaged through all of our stuff. Thankfully, there were no lizards or anything <laughs> that had jumped, you know, that had wanted a free trip to Hawaii. Uh, so they, they let us go. and We had the time of our life when we were there. But it... 
you know, it didn't just bother me, it intrigued me. I'm like, man, there's a reason for everything. Why was it that we were welcomed that way? Why were we accosted that way? And so I'm, I'm a curious person, started doing a little research and learned a lot of things about Hawaii. Maybe you didn't know this either. In the 1800s, the late 1800s, the cane farmer industry in Hawaii had severe problems with rats, with rodents, out of control. They couldn't do anything about it. So they had the bright idea that they were going to bring mongoose to the island of Hawaii, specifically the Kona Island, the big island, and they were going to unleash this mongoose and they were, they were going to eradicate the, the rat problem, right? You, you solve one problem with another problem, but that experiment failed horribly. I mean, epic fail, <laughs> as the YouTubers would say, because mongoose are diurnal. That means they're active during the day and rats are nocturnal. They're active at night. So, I mean, there's just a host of problems with that, but needless to say, the mongoose did 50 and continued to do $50 million worth of damage to the ecosystem in Hawaii and in Puerto Rico now, too, every year. $50 million worth of damage to the ecosystem every year. And here's why. Because mongoose are what they call a non-indigenous species in Hawaii. God didn't create Hawaii and then put mongoose there. But man did. Man brought mongoose over because he wanted to solve a problem. He introduced a species to a beautiful, exotic place that was like head-turningly beautiful. People came there because Hawaii is so unique. There's 13 ecosystem, ecosystems in the world, and 11 of them can be found on Hawaii. It's beautiful and breathtaking. And they have a pretty lucrative sugarcane industry apparently too, and so they wanted to solve that problem, so they introduced this non-indigenous species, and that's a nice way of saying it. The right way to say it was that a mongoose is an invasive species, which means two things. They don't belong there, and they will harm that environment when they're introduced, right? And they did. And it turns out that if mongoose aren't able to eat rodents, do you know what they'll eat? They'll eat endangered birds. And if you don't know this, Hawaii is the endangered species capital of the world, especially with birds, especially nesting birds, especially ground nesting birds that lay eggs. And so whenever Sarah and I were on the island, I kept seeing, this was before our research, I'm like, look at that little cute little thing over there. What is, what is that? She said, I think that's a mongoose. Oh, look, there's another one. There's another one and another one and another one. They're everywhere. They only brought 72 and now there's like thousands. In fact, if this church plant thing goes, goes south, I'm pretty sure I could move to Hawaii because they pay mongoose trappers a pretty lucrative uh, annual salary there. That's what they try to do. They try to bribe trappers to come and get rid of the mongoose problem that they introduced to get rid of the rat problem. So why am I telling you this crazy story? I'm telling you that crazy story because there is a culture in the church that's beautiful, that's head-turning, that's unique, that's produced by the gospel that you're not going to find out there. You can't find it out there. It doesn't exist because it's powered by a unique and supernatural message that the world doesn't believe and doesn't appreciate. But the world should look in here. They should lean in and they should listen up and they should see things and hear things that are intriguing to them and that are shocking to them and that are scandalous to them. Because we have a culture here that is, and we've done two, two messages already. This is a welcoming culture. Romans 15, 7 is like the whole Bible summed up. Welcome one another, that's a culture, as Christ has welcomed you. That's a doctrine for the glory of God. So we have a culture here that's produced by a doctrine here. And those two things are inextricably linked together. So there's a welcoming culture here. It's beautiful. It's head-turning. 
There's also a walk in the truth culture here, a culture of transparency and openness, not a culture of secrecy. And behind the backroom meetings and meetings after the meetings and after the meetings, this is a place where, as 1 John 1, 4 to 7 says, walk in the light as God is, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's a culture too where there's no secrecy, there's openness. So in other words, it's a culture of welcoming and it's a culture of walking in the light. And this is the third part of this series and the reason I'm telling you that story is because we have got to fight to preserve this culture. We've got to fight to preserve this culture. It's a war. And you know, those, those are terms people are like, ah, come on, pastor. We could do away with the militant talk. But no, the Bible calls us soldiers, farmers, athletes. We're active. We are engaged. It's a fight. And war is the best term because it's not just a battle here and there. It's a long war because Satan hates the culture that the gospel produces. And so he'll attack both. He'll attack your doctrine and he'll also attack your culture. And you see that throughout redemptive history. You see it in the Bible and you see it in this passage that Brent read for us earlier. This is like an epic showdown here between two apostles. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The Bible is not boring. Here's the apostle Peter who walked with Jesus. He was called the rock. He raised people from the dead. He saw miracles. He ate lunch with Jesus thousands of times. I guess he did, about 365 times. Yeah. He was around Jesus a lot. He knew the message, right? He even preached the first message on the day of Pentecost. When fire came down from heaven, 3,000 people were converted. He saw people repent corporately and individually. That would have been something to behold. And then later, God opened Peter's eyes to see that, hey, look, this message is not just a Jewish, Jewish message. This is for all people everywhere, in every place. And Peter's like, no, no, that's, I'm not going to unclean people. And you remember how radical God had to get to convince Peter otherwise. He had to show him a vision. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter had a vision. Three times God showed him this graphic image of, no, you don't dare call anything or any person unclean that I have cleansed, Peter. Go to the gospel. Go to the Gentiles with the gospel and he did. And everything seemed to be going well, right? And then you have the book of Galatians. So I've got, I was going to do one catch-all message. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to break this up into two messages. It, it's, it's better for today anyway, because at the end of the service, uh, Joe and Marilyn Nugent, this is going to be, I hate to say your last Sunday, man, because I just know God's going to bring you back one day. <laughs> Uh, Joe has served faithfully here as an elder for some time, and he and Marilyn, they have nine children, multiple grandchildren all over the world, and uh, after prayer, reflection, um, they feel like God wants them to, to be closer to their family for this season of their life, and so it's, 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 they put their house on the market, and it's been a transition, and so today they wanted to share a few words with you to say goodbye, and we wanted to say goodbye to them properly at the end of the service. So this is, this is going to be part one of the war, the war, the gospel culture war. So just for the next few minutes, we're going to spend in this passage, and, I, and I've got three points uh, for this message. I'm just going to get to the first two today, okay? And here's point number one, how quickly and easily and strategically gospel culture gets attacked. That's a, that's a mouthful. Let me say it again, because every word's important. 
how quickly, how easily, and how strategically the gospel culture that the gospel message produces in a fellowship gets attacked. Now, if you've ever read Galatians, you know that it's a different epistle. Paul wrote 13 or 14. Their Hebrews is debatable. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he's always very polite, very nice, very open. How are the kids doing? We miss you. We love you. He skips all the niceties when he writes Galatians. He gets right to the point. He's very troubled. And in fact, let me just, uh, I just picked out a few phrases to help you understand how urgently Paul feels that he needs to address this gospel culture being under attack at, at this church. And by the way, maybe this will help you see the urgency of the problem. We tend to think of the epistle of, Gal- of Galatians as an epistle to a church, but it's not an epistle to a church. It's an epistle to multiple churches in the Galatia region. It would be like, it would be like somebody writing to all the churches in central Florida. They're like, oh, wow, all the churches? Yeah, all the churches have been infected by this, by this mongoose, <laughs> this non-native, this thing that doesn't belong there getting unleashed. It's everywhere. Now there's thousands of them, and we can't even track, trap them and kill them quick enough. Something's been unleashed in you Galatian churches that i got to tell you about. It's troublesome, it's problematic, it's frightening, and, and we've got to act. So it would, I would even say it would be the equivalent of somebody writing a letter to a denomination, like maybe to the Southern Baptist Convention. Paul writing a letter to a, a, the Southern Baptist Convention and saying, hey, wake up, you've got a problem in your churches. So this is not just one little letter to one little church, just a little issue on the side. This is pervasive, and it's been going on for some time. And listen to the language of urgency. Paul's sounding the alarm bells. Here's what he says. This is chapter 1. I am astonished. It's thalmazo in Greek. It's like I'm struck. I'm, I'm blown away. I'm marveling at what's going on here. Now, these are the churches that Paul helped plant, and it hasn't been very long at all. Not very much time has gone by, and already the gospel culture is under attack. And Paul, here's an apostle. Here's someone who knew the devices of Satan, the treachery, the subtlety, the cunning, the craftiness of Satan. He had seen everything, and he's shocked. What would shock an apostle? Paul says, I'm blown away at how quickly, how quickly you have allowed this gospel culture to effectively come under attack. And you're already shifting. You're vacillating. You're growing weaker and weaker. You're giving in. You're caving in. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. How's that for an introduction? How would you like to get that letter? Hey, guys, how's it going? We're doing great over here. Hey, um, I'm blown away by how quickly you're deserting Christ for another gospel. Whoa. (laughs) This is like the text you get that's like, we need to talk ASAP. You ever gotten a text like that? I don't know if you're like me. I can't ignore those. If, it, if I get it at 11 o'clock at night, I don't sleep very well at all. I'm like, listen, we, we got to talk. Something, something's wrong. I'm astonished. And then he says in chapter 3, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He uses like pagan magic terms in Greek. You are under a spell. You're bedazzled. Somebody seduced you. Somebody has done a number on you. Who's bewitched you? And then he says, are you so foolish? Now, he's... Paul is an inspired writer, and he's using his personality, his vocabulary. God is using all those things about Paul, but you can tell Paul is saddened, Paul is grieved. 
Paul's angry. He's angry at the false teachers that had infiltrated the ranks of the Galatian churches. And he's upset at how quickly the Christians that he, that he poured himself into, how quickly they gave up ground. How quickly they allowed the hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees to come into the ranks. The legalism, it's all there. He says, you fools. And then chapter 4, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. How would you like your pastor to say that after planning you and investing you for years? To say, you know what? I think I've wasted my time here. I am perplexed about you. <laughs> Here's an apostle that had divine revelation. And he's like, I don't get you. You're confusing me. Help me understand. Don't you see Paul as a human being? Doesn't this bring out the personality of, of Paul? He's just like us. Haven't we all said this? And then in chapter 5, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Where'd Paul hear that from? He heard that from Jesus, who said that years earlier to his disciples. He said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware their doctrine. Beware their influence. All it takes is a little bit of leaven. Just want... For those of you that bake bread, we have some killer bread bakers in here. Thank God for you. And you share it bountifully with the people here. And I'm learning more and more about the power of yeast. It just takes a little pinch, right? Right, Marilyn? Just a little bit, and bam, you got a whole oven full of bread. It takes, it takes one mongoose. It actually took 72 mongoose. That's how many they introduced to Hawaii, and now they got thousands. He says this in, in verse 15 of chapter 5. You bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I mean, if I go back to the illustration about the invasive species, you know what mongoose do? They eat and destroy everything that's beautiful. When you introduce something other than the gospel into a community of Christians who have been transformed by that message, it will devour that community. It will devour that culture. It will tear it to pieces. Very quickly, very easily, and very strategically. Because you'll see how Satan infiltrated the the Galatian church, but also when Paul gives the example from his own history of what, what Peter did, the apostle that raised people from the dead, what he did. All he did was sit at the di a different lunch table. And he said, you know, you Gentiles, I can't sit with you anymore. I'm sorry. There's some important people here from Jerusalem, and you understand. Very strategic, very slow, very measured. And the next thing you know, Paul is withstanding him to his face, in public, in front of everybody, and he says, what you're doing is out of line with the gospel. It's really interesting. Did you hear that when Brent read it? Look at that in a... I guess I should turn here, shouldn't I? This is all introductory, because I really want you to wrap your mind around what's going on here in this meeting. He says in, in verse... Verse 11, when, when Cephas, and that's Peter, by the way, okay... When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated. And by the way, just to geek out with you a little bit, okay, because the language here is important. In Greek, the verbs used there are, are in the imperfect tense, and it means this was very gradual, very slowly, very controlling, very manipulative. It wasn't one day Peter just said, I'm done with y'all. It was very gradual. That ever happened to you? Maybe you're hanging out with somebody and then they start ghosting you or something. <laughs> like, dude, I just I texted you. Come on, what's going on? 
And then a few days go by, and that, that's what Peter did. He was with the Gentiles, and then he was kind of not with them, and then before you know it, he's, but it was, it was satanic almost, and the way he did it. And it left them confused, thinking, was it me? You ever feel that way? Was it me? Was it you? Me? What? Was it something I did? Was it something I didn't do? That's satanic. And, and when a culture experiences that, everyone's neurotic, suspicious, nervous, on edge. Am I not being a good Christian? Am I not having enough devotions? Am I not reading the right books? Am I not voting the right way? People are confused. They don't know. That's what happens when a gospel culture gets attacked. Then he says, separated himself, fearing the circumcision. So this whole thing is caused by fear. An apostle, (laughs) an apostle who wrote scripture, raised the dead, walked with Jesus, he's afraid. Peter had clay feet, and so do you, and so do I. None of us are beyond this. Fearing the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. That's point two, by the way. Not only how quickly, how easily, how strategically a gospel culture gets attacked, but how ugly and toxic it looks when it happens. All it took was one man vacillating, one man caving in, and what happened? Look at this. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Hypocritical is, is, is a word in Greek. It means under the mask. Hypocritikos. It means you're play acting. You're wearing a mask. Peter didn't really believe that you're justified by separating yourself from people of other ethnicities. He didn't really believe that. He really did believe the gospel, but that's what hypocrisy is. It's when you feel very strongly about something and believe something strongly, but it doesn't impact your life. That's play acting. That was, that was uh, Greek language for people that played in the theater. You put a mask over yourself. You're under the mask. So Peter did it. All the Jews were impacted by it. Look, even Barnabas, so that even Barnabas, he helped Paul plant those churches. Paul was welcomed into the fellowship by Barnabas when nobody else would accept Paul because he, he had persecuted Christians, all right? They're like, no, 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 not him. He's a terrorist. Barnabas said, no, really, he's legit. And then Barnabas and Paul went and planted the church at Antioch and invested themselves. And all it took was a visit from Peter coming to Antioch. He played the hypocrite. All the Jews were swept away, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement. (laughs) That's what his his name means. Mr. Encourager suddenly became Mr. Condemnation. What an ugly culture. When the leaders do it, even Barnabas was led astray. And look, I'm not elevating. I'm not putting Paul on a pedestal. I'm putting Jesus on a pedestal. Thank God that he used a man the Apostle Paul, thank God that he filled Paul with such courage and fortitude and resilience that he was able to say, no, uh-uh, no, I'm withstanding this. And this is not a private meeting. This is a public violation. It's going to be a public confrontation. Check this out. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, now, full stop, and again, I, I hope you don't think if you don't know Greek, you can't understand the Bible. That's not true at all. Um, but the way that this is worded in Greek, it's really cool. When he says, when I saw that their conduct, one translation says, out of step with the gospel, that's a really powerful word. It's orthopedeo. And ortho, you know what ortho, like orthodontist, you go to an orthodontist when you, to get your teeth straightened, right? And for a lot of other reasons too. 
um, orthopedic surgeon, straightens things. Orthopedeo, pedeo is walk in Greek. Paul is saying, I saw, I saw their walk, and I saw the gospel, and they weren't aligned. They weren't straight walking with the gospel. Here's this beautiful gospel doctrine, and lines go out from it. And you walk in alignment with the gospel. It shapes your life in such a way that when a lot of people impacted and shaped by that gospel doctrine come together, it produces this beautiful culture. And Paul saw how Satan was attacking that culture, and he's saying, Peter, your conduct is out of step with the gospel. And we got to talk about this. Here? Yeah, here. Now? Right now. In front of everybody? You better believe it. And he withstood him to his face. This is like clash of the titans. I'm sorry, I should be sad about this, but it excites me. <laughs> I, like, I like stories like this. I would have liked to have been there and seen this gone down. But listen, Paul's not doing this to shame Peter. He's not being hateful. He's not being angry. You know what he's doing? He's doing, I talked about this last Sunday, if you were able to tune in. The first section in Galatians 2 is the Jerusalem council that takes place in Acts chapter 15. Paul says, we did not uh, we did not yield for one moment to the legalist so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's what Paul's doing here. He is preserving the gospel so that you and I, most of us are Gentiles in here, I would imagine, so that the truth of the gospel is preserved for us. Thank God he took that stand. Or We may, we may not even have a clue who Jesus is happens quickly, easily, strategically. It's ugly. It's toxic. I love what Eugene Peterson, his translation of the, of the Bible, chapter 3 is really, I laugh when I read it, because he, all he wanted to do was do what Martin Luther did, put the Bible in modern language so that the people could understand it. And Eugene Peterson says this, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? <laughs> Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer had the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Paul's saying, you're not living according to the message that I taught you. What the heck happened? They were play acting. They claimed to love God, but they wouldn't even love their neighbor. And friends, I just want to tell you, this happens so quickly and so easily right under our noses and we don't even realize it sometimes. And I have fallen victim to this many times. I've debated on whether or not to share, you know, from your past certain things, not just because they're unflattering and humiliating, but I wouldn't want anybody to be offended. But if this helps you, long time ago, when I was old enough to drink and I was a Christian... And I was attending a church uh, that there wasn't a ban on drinking, but there was a certain culture at this church. And I want to tell you what the culture was. And I know, look, before, before I go any further, I just want you to know, I know the dangers associated with alcohol, and I know that a lot of people struggle with that. I get all of that. I understand all of that. I was at a church, and the culture was the good Christians don't drink. That was just the culture. And I told you what culture is. It's the unspoken rules about the way we do things around here. Nobody really talked about it in the open, but that was just the culture. And there, that was one of many faithfulness tests. Test of faithfulness, litmus test. The really good Christians read this, read this, these people, 
You know, they're affiliated with this political party. They vote this way. That's just the way that it was. That was a culture. And I just remember I was a newlywed at the time, and I thought, you know what? I, I want a glass of wine. I want a glass of wine, and I'm going to have a glass of wine. I didn't want a half case of beer. Or, you know, I, I hadn't had a rough week. or anything. I just wanted a glass of wine. I wanted to enjoy a glass of wine. So I told my wife, I'm going to get a bottle of wine. She goes, she said, go to the... Go to this store, not that store. <laughs> you guys tracking with me? So I did. I went to a little convenience store and I went inside. <laughs> I wish we would have been wearing masks back then. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, okay? I went inside. I, I mean, you should have seen me, man. I was like a ninja. I didn't even know. I didn't know much about wine. I just like this looks good to me. I grabbed it. I run up there. And my debit card's not working. I'm like, come on, you're killing me. Let's get me out of here. Put it in the bag. That was the culture. And I kid you not, man, a very prominent, you know where this is going, don't you? Very prominent, upstanding leader at the church walked in, walked in, looked at me, looked at the bottle of wine, walked over, shook my hand and said, how you doing, brother? <laughs> now, he didn't say anything dirty or nasty, but my, I felt condemned. My, and I hadn't committed a crime and I had not committed a sin. And I felt condemned. Why did I feel condemned? Because that's what a, a toxic culture does that. And I called him later. I got my wine. I went home. I didn't even enjoy it. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> and I called him and I said, hey, man, can, can I ask you a question? He said, of course. I said, will you be honest with me? He said, absolutely. I said, were you offended earlier? He said, what? What are you talking about? I said, earlier at the store when you saw me getting the wine. He said, are you sitting? No, no, not at all. See, that's what, that's what a toxic culture does. It makes you neurotic. Everyone's on eggshells. You're always thinking, what do they think about me? Am I, am I good with them? Are they happy with me? Now, I'm weak. You, most of you aren't like, like me, okay? But I was, that, that kind of stuff still goes through my head all the time. And he said, no, I wasn't offended at all. He said, I've always wondered why it is that people are so weird about that around here. And then he said this. He said, but you better be careful, brother, because right after you left, a bunch of youth from the church came in. And I said, oh, yeah, goodness, man, thank you. Now, full stop. I've gone back to that conversation, you can ask my wife, hundreds of times. And I thought this, I missed a really good opportunity to help that man. I, I missed a really good opportunity to help that man. What I could have said and what I should have said is, oh, uh, well, okay, help me understand why... Why do I need to be careful? What do you mean the youth came in there? Well, that you don't want them to see you getting a bottle of wine. Why not? Why is that a bad thing for youth to see a Christian adult responsibly purchase, when he's old enough to, a bottle of wine to take home and enjoy with his wife? Why would I want to hide that? In fact, maybe they need to see that because they see a lot of other people using alcohol the wrong way. Maybe they need to see a Christian use a good gift that God gave. And again, I'm totally aware of all the ways people abuse alcohol, just like they do sex and everything else. Every other good gift God gave us. I should have said those things, not out of hate and not to shame him, to help him. But I wasn't there yet. I wasn't there yet. I still wonder if I'm there, <laughs> right? Or what areas I'm not there yet and I don't know it yet. That's just one story of many that I could tell. And I'm ashamed of myself. But thank God the gospel covers that shame. 
Jesus carries that shame for me. And that may be a sensitive issue with you, and that's, I understand that. But for me, it was, that was wrong behavior for me at the time. Um, that will destroy a church. Fear of other people and, and, and man-pleasing. That will destroy a culture so fast. So fast. You want me to tell you another story? You love my dirt, don't you? You know the hardest message? Man, we're family. I love this church. I love it that I don't have anything to fear or prove or hide here. You know the hardest message I have ever prepared in my life? You want to know what it was? It was the message that I preached called Broken Mirrors here. When all the stuff was going on with the racial tension in America. Hardest message I've ever prepared and preached in my life. Now, why do you think that is? That's part of it. The culture I grew up in in the Deep South. And also... All the stuff going on that I'm looking at online, and which I shouldn't have been anyway, and reading about this preacher addresses this this way, and he gets kicked back. This preacher doesn't address it, he gets kicked back. It's like no matter what I do, I'm going to get kicked back of some kind. And you know what? When I, and I was, I was out of town at the time when it happened, my wife said, honey, we're fine, the kids are fine, you need to go. <laughs> you need to go get alone with God and, and do whatever he wants you to do. And when I went... I'm all right. <laughs> when I went and I got on my face before God, I stopped being afraid. <laughs> Seriously. I stopped being afraid of what anybody would think. And I said, Lord, I don't want to say what's politically correct or politically. I don't want to use terms or hashtags or phrases that I know are going to be pejorative and volatile. And I just want to use your word and I want to address this in a, in a way that nobody can refute or argue with because it's straight out of the Bible. And when I did that, man, I came in here with my head held high, ready to go to battle. And there wasn't even a battle. That's the beautiful thing about this church. Anyway, the fear of man will destroy a gospel culture so fast. And there's lots more I want to say about that, but here's what I want to end with. Let me find my point. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, how uniquely, courageously, and endlessly... We must fight against this. And I'm going to unpack this next week. So you want to be here, we'll see if we can get the air fixed. But listen, here's what's so interesting to me about this, man. Here's Peter. And you could say, some people have called Peter's conduct here racist. Which I understand. He's separating from one uh, ethnic group, the Gentiles. And he's separating to his own people, the Jews. So he's feeling some type of superiority. People would say, you think you're superior, dude. And that you can't be around the unclean, sinful Gentiles, right? So some people would say, this is a racist issue. Other people would say, it's just straight-up hypocrisy, which it is. So I'm thinking, okay, Paul's going to confront Peter in front of everybody. What's he going to do? How do, you fight, how do you fight this in the culture when it starts slipping? And it's just really interesting. He doesn't say anything about racism, really. All the passages, and racism is sinful, obviously. And Paul could have gone to multiple places and addressed it. He didn't. He could have talked about hypocrisy. He did in the very beginning. But what the Apostle Paul started talking about blows me away. It blows me away. I was doing back, I, I was so jazzed this week seeing, I think, what God is telling us in this passage. I told Brent the other day, I had to get out of my, I drove to the ocean. And I walked, and I walked for like two hours. And I'm like, how could, I, how could I not see this before? Paul starts talking about justification by faith alone and Christ alone to address this problem in the culture. I wouldn't have. I would have gone to like 15 other places in the Bible that are good places and that would have addressed it on the surface. Paul goes deep. He goes deep underneath to the heart of the issue. 
is that Peter has insecurities spiritually, and he's fearful, and I cannot wait to unpack that, because I think this, I think if there was a culture that we call the church, and all the people in that culture are wrapping their minds around all the implications for what Martin Luther called the article, the central doctrinal article of the church, justification by faith alone, I think that culture would be so beautiful, so attractive, so amazing, it would blow us away. I really believe that. This is what Martin Luther said, in fact. He said, justification by faith alone is the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to unpack what all of that, what justification means is that you're accepted by God. God accepts you. He welcomes you. God does. He declares you blameless. And it's not just, oh, you didn't fail the test. It's, hey, guess what? You got 100%. <laughs> Jesus did it. You get the Medal of Honor pinned to your chest. He did all the heroic work. His victory. <laughs> That's what justification is. You're cleansed. You're blameless. Luther said this, justification by faith alone is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Did you catch that last part? Whereas the knowledge of all godliness consists. Do you want to be a godly man or a godly woman or a godly child? Then you had best understand this doctrine because it's central. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into our own heads continually. That's what Luther said. And he started the Protestant Reformation, and we still see the impacts to this day. We're still reforming, right? Anyway, guys, I, know, I hope that that made sense. The outline is how quickly, how easily, how strategically a gospel culture gets attacked how toxic and ugly and unattractive it is and confusing that it is to people and how courageously and a few other adjectives, we got we to gotta fight it. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to get into the conversation that Paul actually had with Peter and what it means. And I'm excited about it, and hopefully you will be too, and hopefully you'll, you'll tune back in. But for now, I'm going to pray, uh, and I want to say just a few words while Joe and Marilyn come up here, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the beautiful gospel doctrine that you are producing even here, Lord. Imperfectly, because we're imperfect, we're flawed, but the more clearly we see the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, the more fully uh, we get the Holy Spirit filling us up, Lord, and we see a culture where the fruit of the Spirit, interestingly enough, in chapter 5, Paul and Galatians talks about that. The fruit of the Spirit is, is peace, love, joy, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control. That's a beautiful culture, Lord. And that's what's attacked when we lose sight of the, of the gospel, of the beautiful doctrine that creates that. So help us, Lord, to be vigilant and to understand this doctrine and give me wisdom as I teach it. And help us, Lord, we're... we're we're gearing back up to, to relaunch our community groups, and that's going to be the place where this kind of culture is either attacked or fostered and cultivated. And may we not unleash anything that's not native <laughs> to a gospel culture. May we not allow anything, Lord, that's invasive to destroy it, to attack it, to tear it to pieces, to make it ugly. May we protect that. And I pray all these things in the powerful and mighty name of Christ. Of Christ. Amen. Hey, by the way, if you're wondering... Um, the way my mind's working. The, the reason the airport authorities were so vigilant about reptiles is because, did you know there's no snakes in Hawaii anywhere, ever? 
This is just freebie. I know you're like, oh, you just pre. I know, but there's no snakes in Hawaii. That's why my wife wanted to go. There's no snakes there. And those people have learned that when you introduce a, an invasive and non-indigenous species, it takes over. So guess what? If you try to bring, you want to have a little fun, stick a little ring snake in your pocket and get on an airplane, snakes on a plane, and go to Hawaii and see what happens when they find that snake in your pocket. You're going to go to jail for three years and you're going to get fined $200,000. Now they get it, don't they? They learn their lesson from the mongoose. And that's what we're seeing here in Galatians. God wants us to learn our lesson and not allow anything. Hypocrisy, legalism, false teaching, heresy, nothing to damage this culture. Well, Joe and Marilyn, um, you come up here, and I just want to say a few words while you do. I've told you that we wanted to properly say goodbye to them. And we're going to present them with something when they're finished. We have a gift and a card, and I think some of you contributed to that. But I just want to say personally for my family, my wife and I, our marriage, our home, our parenting, this church, the leadership, the elders. You know, it would be one thing if Joe and Marilyn left quietly. They slipped away in the night and nobody really knew. They're like, who, who left? Who, who was that? Um, that happens sometimes at churches. And man, it shouldn't. It's really sad. I am thankful to say, this is weird to say this, but I, I trust you'll feel loved by me saying it because it's true. Their absence is going to be deeply felt. In other words, you're going to actually realize that they're gone because of all they did. All the ways that they invested in us corporately, community groups, personally. So we're going to feel their absence both deeply and personally. Because they have poured themselves out for the sake of Christ here. And I appreciate that. And our church is stronger. You know, that's what you pray when somebody joins your church. You're like, Lord... Make this church stronger because of them joining and make them stronger because of them joining. So I believe that because of Joe and Marilyn's investment here, we're a stronger church. So they're leaving us, but they're not leaving us the way they found us. They're leaving us better. Amen? They're leaving us better, and they have left something behind. They've left a legacy. They've left an example. They've left what Paul talked about. Let your speech and your conduct and all of those things um, point to Christ. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I don't want to take any more of your time to share. You got the microphone and share with us, man, what's on your heart, guys. Love you. Well, good morning, Grace Life. Um, got a few things that I've prepared to say on paper so I don't um, go off track too far anyway. And uh, Marilyn has a also a a brief uh, encouragement that she'd like to share. But first of all, I'd, I'd just like to let you folks know <laughs> if you have uh, in any way been blessed or had your life improved by our being a part of this fellowship, just know that we are leaving changed people as well because of all of you dramatically changed. When we first arrived here five years ago, we were, we were hurting people. And we had lots of fears, lots of insecurities about church and about being part of a church fellowship ever again. And it's not that we're new Christians. We've been Christians for over 35 years. But just the things that were transpiring at that time. And we were, 
we were welcomed here in such a way that we right away felt a lot of those fears and insecurities just fall off of us. And most of that had to do with the way that Tommy approached us and the way that you have followed his example of leading in humility. It's that humility that really made the difference for us. And you accepted us for what we are, what we were actually back then, <laughs> with all of our insecurities, fears, and all of our warts and wrinkles as the expression goes. But I'm just so grateful and I, I could go on for a very long time just thanking you for being this kind of church who is open to change. Change from where you're at to where the Lord Jesus is taking you. And that's what it's all about. It really is. Sam knows. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, the first uh, couple years went along real smoothly. We were encouraged. We were just being strengthened. And uh, the last couple years here, we've actually gotten to serve. I've gotten to serve as an elder alongside Tommy, Steve Ekman, and now Cliff Patterson. And I've got to tell you, the, the times that we have spent together have really challenged me and have helped me to grow because of the time spent with these men. And I, I am a different person, and, and I, I thank God for His grace for putting me in this fellowship and even more specifically within the leadership of the church where the changes came about that, more in, that much more intensely. And so um, without carrying on too much further, I'll just get into what I'd like to share with you. You know, as an elder, um, I, in my mind, my, my job was to shepherd and instruct and guide and protect this body here. And, and I love you. I love you folks. I love your families, even the ones I don't know, but I know you're a part of this. And I just pray for God's continued blessing and guidance for your lives. And I forget where I was going with that, so I guess I'll go on to what <laughs> uh, I'm going here. Um, Oh, I guess where I was going with that was that I wanted to say that I wanted to, in all of those times of watching out for the flock here, my, my ultimate goal was to encourage and strengthen and edify you, not to beat you up, drag you down, or 
become that, that thing that just, just weighs you down continually, like in what Tommy was describing here. And so I'm just grateful for the, the culture that uh, is continuing to develop here at Grace Life. So I wanted to ask you, has God gotten your attention? Has he been able to keep your attention? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. And I pulled that right out of the middle of the faith chapter of the Bible, as it's called, Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. Men and women's names whom you'd recognize from being mentioned in the Bible, but many of those names of people are just, they're just ordinary people like you and I. Yeah, there are some those that we call the great ones in there as well, but for the most part, is ordinary people. And they got mentioned in that chapter because they responded to God with faith and they gained divine approval. And God is asking us, and not only asking us, but he's giving us opportunity right now to do the same. God has gotten the attention of the entire world through this COVID pandemic. An unprecedented event. It's what I'm told. It seems that way. I haven't lived that long, but... And in some ways, it is comparable to the time of Noah. And when I say that, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is punishing mankind and bringing about our final demise by destroying the world. But he really is giving us, particularly us as believers, opportunities to live out our faith and respond to this crisis in ways that please him, that glorify him, that lift up Jesus throughout the whole earth, and we are then able to share his good news, what we know as the gospel. So, as I've talked to people during this season in these last few months, many people would refer to their situation as being stretched, stretched in their faith. And I'm kind of a word nerd, and, and I like to investigate what words mean and, and how they apply to our, our lives. And so I'm just going to quickly run through a couple of um, definitions and applications of um, being stretched in your faith. It's um, what people would say to me, you know, I feel like I'm being pulled in many directions. 
I'm being asked and even expected, actually, expected to do things that I've never had to do before and I've never wanted to do before. But now it's forced upon me. So let's talk about the word stretch for a minute. Give you a little dictionary definition here. And as I go through these couple of examples, please just kind of relate them to your walk with the Lord Jesus and the entire gospel message. So, stretch means forced to enlarge or grow. Just take a moment to be thinking about how you can apply this definition and description to walking out your faith. Extend. Extend past a point A to a point B. <laughs> Beyond the usual limits. Is that how you're feeling? How about this one? Loosen. Loosen seems to not really fit there, but when you think about the stretching that comes after you've retracted and you've shrunk back and maybe even shriveled, you need to stretch back to normal size or maybe bigger. How about the expand? Expand in order to fulfill a different, maybe a larger or greater purpose, such as stretching your paycheck, stretching your budget, so to speak. You know, we're all willing to, uh, to sacrifice for something we really want, something we can't live without, right? So it shouldn't be totally, uh, you know, difficult for us to, to see that maybe God's going to bring some of that about in his own ways that may be different from what we were expecting. And how about this one? Are we not like babies in so many ways who put on weight just before a growth spurt? know you parents can all attest to that, and those who've, who have been around babies have actually seen that happen. And uh, babies, they start to become something, actually someone, that they aren't right at that moment. And that can be the same for us as we grow in the Lord, as we start to feed on God's Word, as we're diligent to receive what Tommy's preaching week after week and what we're willing to receive through our times of prayer and reading his word, we start to put on a little bit of fat that we've got to get out there and use, right? And God's going to give us opportunity. He's actually going to, in sometimes, some ways, force us to test what we know and what we say we believe. And uh, speaking of babies, 
you ladies know this best. Um, being pregnant stretches you in every way possible, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but who can deny the physical part, which is most obvious. And I think you would all agree that being stretched, um, particularly in pregnancy, is, is painful at times. And then to literally add insult to injury, being stretched sometimes leaves marks, leaves scars. They're reminders. So being stretched isn't always pleasant, but the rewards are amazing and often eternal. So two last thoughts. Sometimes we feel like we're being stretched like a, a little piece of silly putty. You all know what silly putty is? It's like, it has no structure, has no control. It's like total distortion in every direction. And that's happening from its usual, kind of, you might say, comfortable shape and existence. And that's when we need to rely and trust and depend and believe God and allow Him the full control. Don't fight Him. Sometimes we feel like God stretches us not just like a rubber band, but like a bungee cord. And I don't mean just one of those bungee cords you use for strapping down your cargo. I mean like the type that the bridge jumpers use. You feel like, whoa. God wants to propel us into another level of intimacy and trust and faith in Him. Is it scary? Absolutely. Is it exhilarating? Yes, sir. Will it be a wild ride at times? Oh, you can count on it. He doesn't want you to forget. So, when these times are upon us, just think of this as making memories with Jesus. I'll turn it over to Marilyn. That last comment was a, a little bit of a jab at me because um, my kids have a phrase, oh, we're making memories with mom for all the great ideas that I dragged them through. <laughs> um, a lot of things ran through my head today, even as I got here. And, you know, for the past few months, I've been really um, not looking forward to saying goodbye to some incredible friendships here. But I had a new friend stop by recently, and um, we spent a couple hours together, and she said, I almost felt more desperate because we haven't had time to get to know each other. And I realized as I was looking at everybody today that um, that's almost harder than leaving the people whose relationships are real secure and deep because they are secure and deep, and there's 
folks that I really wish I had had more time to get to know. And um, that's one of the things I look forward to in heaven. <laughs> but um, I had something on my heart, and I think it kind of goes along a little bit with what Tommy was talking about. I just want to encourage moms. Um, for those of you who don't know me well, um, we have nine children, and I gave birth to children for 21 and a half years. <laughs> So in 1977, our first was born, and in 2017, our youngest pretty much was out of the house, gone to college and on his own. And um, so 30 years of being just a mom. And um, I just really want to throw out an encouragement to all the moms here, particularly the young moms who have all of it still ahead of you. Um, we can invest our lives just like we can invest our money in a lot of things. But the only thing that God gives us to invest in eternally is people. And the people he gives us the most time with and the most opportunity with are our children. And um, there's that phrase that says, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world. I would say the hand that rocks the cradle touches eternity. And don't let, I'm sorry, this is <laughs> kind of dear to me. Don't let the lies of the world rob you of the joy of what you're doing. Because God is a speaking God. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke to his people. And he gave us his word, which speaks living words all the time. And I think that just in reading recently, I was reading The Pursuit of God by Tozer, and he just talks about God communicating and the power of words, and particularly the word of God. And I just see that um, children and families are so intensely important to God, and social media, um, everything out there are just words feeding you lies, that it's not that important. And, um, you know, some of you moms are single moms, and your investment is enormous. And some of you are moms that need to work part or full time. That's incredibly difficult. I would encourage any of you moms who have the opportunity to not work during your child-rearing years to do so. Give up whatever you have to give up. Support your children, support your husband as he works long, hard hours to support you because this is what you have for eternity. You have your family, you have the people God has given you. And Psalm 127 says, children are a gift or a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And sometimes we just, um, we skim over those things, but... Um, we're willing to accept lots of other rewards and, and invest time into them. Invest what you can in your children because they are the greatest blessing that you'll ever have. And don't worry about what you don't have at the moment while you're giving yourselves to your kids. Um, God takes care of us in so many intricate and intimate ways. Um, just look to the word and see what he thinks about you what he thinks about motherhood, what he thinks about children, and um, trust every word he says. Don't trust the noise around you because 
99% of it is lies. If it's not coming out of the Bible, it's probably a lie. So um, that's just my encouragement. Um, I just felt like I could encourage moms because that's what I am. I'm a mom. And for all of you who have allowed us into your lives, thank you. I keep saying the one good thing that the pandemic has done is it's made us all a little bit more savvy with FaceTime and Zoom. And um, we'll all have virtual lunches in the, in the upcoming months and years, and, and we'll get together and see how you all are doing. But um, I really love you guys, and I have been so blessed by the friendships here. And we will see you soon because half of my children still live in Florida. <laughs> so we'll be back. God bless you all. Well, Joe and Marilyn, I'm going to ask you guys to come down front here. Whoa. I'm going to ask Steve and uh, Cliff if you guys will join me. And we're going to present this basket to them and pray over them. Got to watch that handle on this thing. It's a. Here, Cliff, you hold it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I went, went with the boots today. Yeah, if you hold this handle, be careful. But, uh, you know, I thought usually what a church does is everybody comes down and lays hands on them. It didn't seem wise <laughs> right now with the pandemic going on. So you can just, like, air anoint him with me, okay? Uh, I'm going I'm to lay hands on Marilyn and Joe here, and we'll, we'll, we'll pray over them. I'll set this down. Yeah, you can do that. I'm going to do this right. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, we are immeasurably and richly blessed because... Of the gift you gave us of the of the Nugent family, Joe and Marilyn, and their time here with us, and serving as an elder, as a leader, as a community group facilitator, community group host, they've hosted prayer meetings, they've served in multiple different places and venues, both speaking and serving, and invested in people and counseled people, and I could go on and on, Lord, and I know they don't want any glory from that. You get the glory. They're leaving us better than than they found us, and. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the mutual enrichment that could take place, Lord. That's your desire. That's what, that's what it should be. And I pray you would be with them. You would give them wisdom and guidance, Lord, whatever lies ahead for them. Um, going to have a great time with their family, getting to see their grandchildren, their children, investing even more deeply. Uh, there's the authority and then there's the influence, Lord, and they have a, a season of influence now with their children and grandchildren. So please richly bless that. Protect them on the road. And may they just be blessed, Lord, by the small gift we're, we were able to leave them with. And I pray they'd come back, Lord. I do pray that. You would bring them back even stronger. They'll be teaching parenting classes here, and Joe will serve again as an elder, and, and we're just getting started, Lord. Uh, so thank you for them. Protect them. Bless them. Thank you for the, the time, especially uh, with Joe, as he mentioned, being able to serve with, with Steve and myself and Cliff, Lord, and just the rich legacy he left us of prayer and love and gentle counsel. We pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And if you would like to say goodbye to them, they'll be in the back here. And uh, I think we, one of the things I needed to say was we're going to have a very short, I promise it'll be short. It's an interest meeting for those of you. And Megan, you're going to do announcements, aren't you? Come on up here and do announcements. Okay, you got can it. Can I share something real quick? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Let me turn this off I so just, the feedback doesn't you were talking, Tommy, um, talking about how you're going to have them come up. It's just this song came into my heart immediately. I just felt like it was the Holy Spirit, and I'd like to share it. And it's so awesome because you shared 127, and it's the very next one. So I wanted to bless you with this. 
because I was just thinking about and how appropriate it was and how you were an example to me and my family, uh, just walking with the Lord and seeing how God has blessed you and blessed the fruit of your womb and blessed the work of your hands. And that's just what this psalm's about. So I'd just like to speak it and pray it over you in Jesus' name. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine and the very heart of your home, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Can everybody? Yeah, she's going to do the closing charge and dismiss us, but I just wanted to remind you where culture takes place here mostly, besides Sunday, is community group. And if you have an interest at all, even if it's just an entry level interest about, well, I would love to serve as either a host, having people in my home, or a co host, being a backup substitute, or a facilitator, leading discussions, or a co facilitator, being the backup discussion facilitator. Or you just want to know more about what community groups are all about. We've got 10 pizzas and I think some drinks. And it's going to, we're going to keep it short. I'm just going to cast a little vision today. So you are invited to stay after if you feel safe and comfortable doing that. Pizza seem like the safest food. We wanted to make sure you had lunch. So that's going to take place probably right up here in front of the fan. Right after she does dismissal in charge. So I'll leave you with that. God bless you guys. Hope you're able to come back next week and hear part two of the war. Yes. <laughs> Um, that was the only announcement that I was going to speak today, but I did want you to know that um, the Sunday service guide that goes out in the emails, and it also gets linked on the website, has a full list of um, announcements um, that we would have given. There's a lot of things going on in August, so I encourage you to check that out. Um, if you want to stand together with me, we will say the charge. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.